Jersey is the world. Hi everybody, Chris Gathard here. Welcome to another episode of New Jersey is the World. And landmark occasion right here. We've mentioned on the show that we are open to sponsorships, but we want to do it right. That we experimented with a company that just put ads in the show. It was not a good fit. We realized it immediately. We said we need kindred spirits. We need people who care about Jersey. That's why I'm so happy to announce our first ever sponsor here. New Jersey is the world for the month of May is presented to you by our friends at Lunar Fair. Lunar Fair is the best. Lunar Fair is ostensibly a night market. Um, if you go to lunarfair.com, that's spelled with an E at the end, by the way, L-U-N-A-R-F-A-I-R-E.com. They say they are a witchy and weird shopping and social event. That is right. This is a witch-driven night market. That is the best. It's a pop-up night market. They've got events this month on May 16th, May 29th, and one over on uh, June 14th. Those are all in Central Jersey. And then June 28th, back at the Sussex County Fairgrounds for the Lunar Fair one-year anniversary. Lunar Fair has exploded in their first year of existence. Bonaduce has been through their events. He said it was mind-blowing and amazing. Uh, it's a night market. There's a lot of witch stuff. There's a lot of other stuff, too. They are just cool people doing cool things. They are uniting weirdos all over New Jersey. If you're a normal person, you can go. You can just go shopping. And if you are a weirdo, Lunar Fair will be your heaven or whatever witches call heaven. Valhalla? No, that's Vikings. I have no idea. What I do know is you can bring your kids. Um, do keep in mind though, you might also see as they emailed me, warn people, you might see some titty art for sale. You might see some fetish leather, but kids are still welcome. It's just not a censored space. Um, I love it. Their tagline is embrace the chaos. That really speaks to me. I really hope everybody goes out there, supports Lunar Fair. You'll see on their website, their events revolve around the actual lunar cycle, around the new moons and around full moons. That's rad. Um, and of course, you're also going to want to check it out. You can, uh, if you can't attend Lunar Fair, but you still want to support, they also have mail order boxes. You can get go ahead and get uh, all sorts of cool stuff, man. They're cool people doing cool stuff. And we're going to be talking about them all month. And we're so psyched to uh, have them having our backs. It feels like a match. I don't want to say heaven again because I don't want to offend the witches and I don't want them to curse me. Lunar Fair. Go to LunarFair.com. That's Lunar, F-A-I-R-E.com. Check it out. Now, before we get to today's episode, I want, I'm just going to go ahead and talk about something. It's going to sound like I'm being like uh, braggy or, or whatnot. I'm really not trying to be. So everybody out here knows that I work in comedy. That means acting jobs. Sometimes everybody, the guys like to give me a hard time on the mic. Everybody loves it when they call me Hollywood Gether to make fun of me for being an actor. I'm a little self-conscious about being an actor. I'm also proud I've made it work. I've put in the hustle. I've put in the grind. Last week, I booked an acting gig. And it was an honor. It was a real honor. I'll be telling you more about it when this movie comes out because it's like really above the type of challenge I'm usually given. I acted in two-person scenes where it was just me. It was two scenes. It was just me and one other actor, and that actor was Anne Hathaway, an Oscar award winner. And I, I, I was intimidated, but I also know how to be on a set at this point after all these years. And you guys will be proud to hear the jersey came out, man. I was like, no, what you do, you don't get intimidated. You learn your lines backwards and forwards. You make sure that you're not the one slowing things down because this is a serious person at the top of the field. You come in, you handle yourself like a pro, you get there on time, 
you 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 give the other actor what she needs and you watch and you try to learn from somebody who's actually at, you know been recognized with awards for being at the top of this craft it was rad i got to watch and learn a lot but i want i was so gleeful and i told her i would i would do this i said to her you know we're making small talk we're on the set for 2 days we're the only two actors there i said you know we're from the same part of the world. I'm from West Orange. She goes, I'm from Milburn. I'm like, yeah, no, I know. I'm telling you guys, the reason I bring it up, Anne Hathaway is one of us. And Anne Hathaway needs to get more recognition for being true blue Jersey to the core. It was so rad. She instantly started talking about the Turtleback Zoo. She started talking about how much the Paper Mill Playhouse meant to her growing up. She started telling me stories about how she used to save all her money as a kid and go to a matinee weekend shows at the Paper Mill Playhouse by herself because none of her friends wanted to go anymore because she wanted to go so often and she just went to the Paper Mill. Then we got into a trippy conversation about how she told me how she lived near the train tracks in Milburn and how her whole life was defined by these trains going to the city and her going like, man, I'm really close to my dreams. And me going, right? When you grow up that close to the city, I bet it actually feels further away than if you're in Kansas. And she goes, she looks right at me. She goes, well, you know, once you're at the one yard line, that's the longest yard. I was like, Anne Hathaway is fucking Jersey to the core. Okay, she's a serious person. She's really, really good at what she does. It was amazing to watch her act. I'm not trying to gush and blow smoke. It's just true. I don't say this about every actor I work with, okay? It was cool to sit back and go, this is how a real deal pro does this. But more importantly, for our purposes, wanted to let you guys know, Anne Hathaway, officially certified Jersey to the core, gets it. And if you're ever in a diner, you see Anne Hathaway, don't bother, okay? You got to give her that jersey pass. Let her let her be chill here. It was rad. I thought you guys might like that story. And I also really think you're going to love today's episode. Today's episode, it's about jersey style. And the big question for this that I put out there to all the listeners, and I want everybody at the Patreon to get going on the comments thread about this and tweet at me if you got opinions and if you got other um, things you remember and opinions on what we say, 973-780-4660. That's the voicemail line. Was this Jersey style? Was this 90s style? Was it 90s Jersey style? Was it specific? There's certain things that come up as far as the style we remember and some of the catchphrases I remember where I'm going... Not even Mike and Nick knew this. Was this just literally limited to my neighborhood? Or are there other people out here who remember this stuff? It's a really, really funny one full of dumb stories. And I think we'll open the door to a real conversation for all of us to go, what exactly is Jersey style? How much of this was style of the place? How much of it was of the era? What are the things you remember? I want to hear from people from other parts of Jersey who grew up at that time who say, I remember something like that. We used to say a version of that. We used to wear something similar to that. I want to get a real sense as a community of what Jersey style really is and what it means. So listen, this this intro has been taking longer than usual. My bad on that. Thought you guys would like to hear that Anne Hathaway is... For real, has Jersey cred, like has a Jersey mindset. And I especially wanted to make sure I thank Lunar Fair, the month of May, New Jersey is the world, presented to you by our friends at Lunar Fair. Go to lunarfair.com, follow them on Instagram too. They got a great Instagram. It, it really, it's eye-opening and, and lays out all the events. It's also really funny, really charming. Thank you to Lunar Fair for sponsoring the show. Thank you for listening. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of New Jersey is the World. I'm here with the Woe Town Gang, that of course being two old friends of mine 
who I've known since I was uh, a wee lad and who now know me as an exhausted young father. Uh, Nikki Bonaduce, how you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. Wotown in the house, man. I was up in Essex County today charging up my powers for this show. What part of Essex County? I was in Newark for a while and then I was in Harrison. So I guess Harrison isn't like, uh, whatchamacallit, um, Hudson County. But I was in Newark for half the day and then in Harrison. So I rejuvenated. All right, Mike D. Mike D, what Essex County towns were you lingering around today? I was uh, nowhere, but the most, uh, I would say I was in the most western part of eastern New Jersey for the entire day. I'm, uh, I'm currently working out in Los Angeles, and I'm staying in a guest house on a rich person's property that I was hooked up with. I'm looking out the window at a mountain. Everything's green. It's 85 degrees. And holy shit, do I wish I was home in Jersey where I hear that it's kind of cold and rainy and miserable. Cato Gethard. Yeah, next best thing. The next best thing, talking with you guys about Jersey and specifically a uh, topic that I'm very fascinated with. Mike D, you came up with the outline for this. Um, I think there's a lot to be talked about here. You wanted to talk about Jersey style. Um, the way that you can see people and you can maybe identify someone as having some Jersey vibes. I'm very interested because everything that came to my mind, I'm going, was that a Jersey vibe? Was that growing up in the nineties vibe? Yeah. Is that something that was spread around everywhere or was it truly specific to the garden state? I'm not sure, but I'm very excited to talk about the style that we remember that defined our times coming up. What made you go to this topic? I was, uh, I was talking to someone for work, uh, actually yesterday, this morning and you know, they're from London and we're doing, I'd never spoken to this person before. We're doing the whole pleasantries, et cetera. Where are you from? We go through the whole thing, New Jersey and her immediate reaction. And this is a well-known professional from London was, you don't have one of those crazy accents. How is that? Oh. And I was like, <laughs> that was her without even missing a beat. And that got me thinking that to the rest of the world, there is a very recognizably New Jersey thing, a style, a way of walking, talking, dressing, acting, the things that you do. And it got me thinking, is what we consider Jersey style, the things that we would say, oh, that's real Jersey. What, how is that related to how the rest of the world perceives Jersey, if at all? Yeah. And I was just really curious yeah. how this would play out. I love it. So how do you, what are, to you, what are the fundamentals of Jersey style? I don't know if we want to start with actual fashion or lifestyle choices, or if there's something to be said more for just the general mentality. I'd say for the general mentality, like if you go back to like all the shtick that's been in comedy for years of like what the typical Jersey per like Joe Piscopo, right? Was like, ah, I'm a Jersey guy. Like that whole stigma, like that in, interpretation of being Jersey has like influenced everything else from that point on and still holds true, like in a lot of ways. Like, see, I always felt like that is not real. Nobody says Jersey. I don't think it is either, but that's the thing that made the impression on like popular culture we're talking today about the real jersey style um, oh i know but i'm saying it's still an influence on it. of course of course especially the what exit thing i think that was a joke that that show solidified and now we actually do communicate with that yeah everybody's been saying that for years no one in human history has ever said joyzy and we all know that um here i think i think there's a certain 
I think that there's a certain blend of, how would I say Jersey style? The broadest strokes to me, especially when we grew up, absolutely a blend of punk rock and hip hop that meet up with some skateboard culture in there that meet up with some bad facial hair choices and an attitude that no matter where you are from the poorest to the richest part of Jersey, like a real dedication to including some blue collar working class um, attitude mixed in with all those things. I would say those are the broad strokes to me. I don't know how you all feel about that. I think that's a very North Jersey interpretation of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. being Jersey. And that's just because of what we know. And it'll be crucified by South Jersey people for whatever. Well, they got their own thing going on and Andrea can address that at a later date. We'll speak to our experience. <laughs> Mighty, Mighty, what's your uh, broad definition of this? I, I was thinking about this and I think it's actually a sense of manners and hospitality. Wow. I know this is going to make people roar, but what I mean is if you meet someone from New Jersey, especially in New Jersey, in a place that they are comfortable with, you can be nearly guaranteed that they are going to immediately make you feel welcome try to give you something to eat, invite you into the party, almost to such an overbearing <laughs> way of doing it that it makes people feel uncomfortable. Like, oh, you're not going to come and uh, you're not going to come and have some of this mutz with us. It's like, I, I just walked in off the street. I've never seen you in my life. Oh, come on. I mean, I think that sort of hospitality is a very, very defining characteristic of New Jersey style. You would never not bring someone into the meal or whatever it is that you're doing. That is very Jersey. I think there's truth to that. I think, um, as you were saying, I was like, yeah, the type of hospitality that's like kind of rough, almost like grab you by the collar and throw you down in a chair and throw too much food in front of you is a little bit of some Jersey style. Yeah, I have 100%. Aggressive hospitality. The full assault. Yes. A little bit. And also if you invite someone over your house in Jersey, it's customary that you will have way too much food for the amount of people that you've invited and they'll probably bring something on top of it too. And it's a fiasco. Never show up empty handed and then always have more food because you never know what's going to happen. That's just So we're talking about that attitude. And now Mike D, you've laid out a nice list of ways that you feel like this represents itself as far as the style that people present themselves with. I would almost say that a lot of the things I'm thinking about are what I think symbolize New Jersey to other people. And again, I think one of the fundamental questions is, does this just symbolize New Jersey to us? Are these things from other places? I think that's, that's what we need to examine here. Where should we start with, uh, with our examination of New Jersey style? Well, there's a simple, I think we're going to talk about the era we grew up in. If, if Mighty's outline indicates anything to me, because the first thing you've listed under clothes, under the New Jersey style episode, is the simple word, cavariches, <laughs> which was a type of pants that I would say... Not everybody wore when we were growing up, but you were the type of person who wore them or you didn't wear them. And if you weren't wearing them, you were reacting against them. <laughs> For people who don't remember Cavaricis, Mike D, why don't you explain what Cavaricis are or were? They were a, a type of, for the time, very expensive dress pants. They were tight and nipped in at the waist. They flared out 
I would say to somewhat above the knee, then they got tighter again. And the thing, the way to tell if they were genuine Cavaricis or not was they had a label running vertically down the zipper. So, which I think was done by design because if people wanted to see if you were wearing real Cavaricis, they had to closely examine your crotch. Perfect. And this went for both men, men and women wearing Cavaricis. Both had that label. On a tight midriff pan. Yeah, it's a very tight midriff pan. There was, of course, an infamous knockoff brand sold at Caldor known as Calvaricis that had... For real? Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, there was Calvaricis where they, there was an L surreptitiously inserted into that label. People were out there trying to get away with Calvaricis. I wasn't even cool enough for Calvaricis. I never had Calvaricis or Cavaricis. A lot of people, if you're trying to place the style, um, I would say that these, it's probably fair to say that these were what later became known as hammer pants, <laughs> a little more subdued than that. Like hammer's pants were uh, Cavaricis taken to an even more cartoonish degree. Is that fair to say? Cavaricis were the... Almost the 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 dress pant acceptable version of hammer pants. Like you could wear hammer pants to hang out with your friends. Yeah, you wore your best Cavaricis to church on Sunday. Yes, you could wear Cavaricis to church. Now, if you saw someone wearing Cavaricis, let's almost fill out this theoretical human being's outfit. Let's say that it's a guy of our era wearing Cavarici pants. What kind of haircut does this person have? What kind of, what, what top pairs with Cavaricis? What shoes? Definitely lots of hair gel. Indeed. A well-cut mullet. And what I'm, like the person who gets their mullet trimmed at the barber shop once a week, not a wild mullet, like very clean. Not hockey hair. Shaven on the side. Not hockey hair. Definitely the more tamed mullet. Yeah. That's a different thing that we'll speak to later. You might even, this person might even, I would say, have a mullet with a right angle, like a shaved right angle into it. Perhaps even some sort of, if we want to talk about real 90s Jersey stuff, perhaps even some sort of word message or cartoon character shaved into the side section of that mullet. Like the guy with Cavaricis is the same dude that was about to show up in 9091 with a Bart Simpson shaved into the side of his head. A lightning bolt. Or you have your football number shaved into the side of your head too. That was popular. If it's giant season, yeah, you might, you, maybe you got Phil Sims number on there. You might got 56 for Lawrence Taylor. Or that terrorist like fade where it's kind of like layers of a fade, but not like a smooth fade. That's one aspect of Jersey culture of ours growing up. This person I could see also wearing like um Mickey Mouse shirt. A Mickey uh, Mickey Mouse sweatshirt with Z Cavarici pants. Like a Mickey Mouse sweatshirt maybe with the sleeves <laughs> torn off? No, a Mickey Mouse sweatshirt with the neck cut out. Yeah. Neck cut out. That's it. Deep V-neck homemade cut. Gold chain. One earring. The earring probably is not a subdued stud. It's probably something that dangles a little bit to catch attention. Possibly a cross. Mom's earring you stole. The alternative to a Mickey Mouse sweatshirt with the neck cut out would be that this person would be the type of person that would wear like a um, short sleeve button down <laughs> silk shirt that's split into four colors. Yes. That's like another thing that- <laughs> Monoblock like quadrant. Four different quadrants of colors on a button down short sleeve shirt that when you touch it, you're like, how the fuck are you wearing this in the summer, man? This is like wearing a fucking napkin. This is like wearing a disposable napkin. And people used to rock that shit at West Orange High. That's one type of culture. That person there probably wearing high tops. Well, let's get more specific. Okay. There's only two type of high tops. Yeah, Reeboks. Reebok high tops with the two Velcros open on top or 
Nike wrestling high tops. Oh, yes. Which is a whole other weird thing. Yes. Yeah, that was a big thing. That is one type of style. I mean, you would see that in every high school hallway in New Jersey in our era. Every mall certainly would have at least a few people who fit this. Um, this person, I might see, I know you have often brought up during our uh, youth that we were of the formative years where... Uh, breakdancing was a pretty big thing. This is the exact type of human being that doesn't present as a hip hop person in any other way, except that if they see cardboard on the ground, they're probably spinning around on it. It's almost like a compulsion, <laughs> whether they're good or not. That they, you know, they they can't not throw throw down a few moves. But the or the the famous dance move of this group, which is related to breakdancing, was they would do singles singles and doubles right and this was kind of like almost a half explain it was this is gonna I'm trying to think of the right language here it was a very popular dance move where you would go down on the ground and you would put your hands on the ground and kick one or two legs up in the air depending on how skilled you were and then drop your legs back down and bring your hands up and clap them together. But people who were really good at this could do this in motion and could go up and down a street or up and down a dance floor. Um, and there was actually a running joke that I've had with my brother for, for years, which is there was a kid at our high school who would do singles and doubles everywhere. It was basically his mode of travel instead of walking. And one, uh, one year we were at Christmas Eve and I was like, Oh, Franny, uh, can you get the door? I was like, it's, uh, you know, it's so-and-so. Uh, it took him four and a half years to get here because he was doing singles, but he finally made it to Christmas Eve. <laughs> His knuckles are a little bloody, but he's okay. The exact type of dancing where this person crossed over with the hip-hop kids back in the 90s would be the type of dancing that Kid and Play did in the House Party movies. Those types of dances mixed with the Cavaricci kids. Otherwise, the Cavaricci kids might be a little standoffish or even racist. You could see them being clannish. Um, but there was a real love of dance that um, crossed cultures <laughs> in this one. And these were probably kids who in the late 90s, early 2000s, probably started going to the city and dropping a lot of ecstasy at places like the tunnel once they ditched the Cavaricis. But they're probably the people who, those people who, people who know the tunnel would say that these are the types of Jersey people that made that scene lame. Like where the that's the type of Jersey person that made Manhattan's ecstasy-driven party scene of the late '90s go way overboard, and and past a tipping point where it was no longer cool. That was people in our high school. That's why the tunnel in in one of the rooms, you know, had had velvet walls, which looked really cool. But then when you got close to them, you wouldn't dare touch those walls. And it was because there were people like that, that had spent their weekends there. Yes. Now I love this. So we've laid out, that is one person. If you were bringing up an archetype of our high school days, that would be a very cartoonish, but extraordinarily real type of Jersey style that you would see. So let's break down what I would say is a complete contemporary to that that'll start to give you the sense of some of the different social tribes and some of the different styles that showed up in our era of New Jersey. Cause there's a, you got the Cavaricci kid. Now here's another thing that I would argue is a very, very Jersey style. Baseball hat, unkept mullet. Baseball hat's not a sports team. It's probably advertising like a local business or just blank. Unkept mullet. Kind of your more stereotypical greasy mullet, you might even say. Hanging out the back. Uh, facial hair, but probably like a wispy mustache. 
can you see what shirt I'm envisioning this person wearing based on how I've described their face in their head? I would say devil's jersey guy. Uh, this is the devil's jersey guy. I was going to say a shirt with uh, Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes urinating. That he was. <laughs> this is the same guy would wear that on on days when the devil's jersey when it was too hot for the devil's jersey. Every high school had at least a handful of people who wore devil's jerseys way too often. And they almost always crossed over. These people would wear work boots, um, jeans that were baggy, but not hip hop baggy, more like I'm going to paint a house after school baggy. Hmm. Devil's jersey, wispy mustache, mullet, some sort of hat to top it off. That was another omnipresent archetype that I remember very well from high school. And these would be kids who would cross over with the metalhead contingent of your school. You had your metalheads, you had the kids who smoked outside. Um, and I think the Jersey Devils person was a very Jersey-specific archetype in the same way the Cavaricci kid was, but they were everywhere. Every grade had at least one or two Jer- Jer- Devils guys. And then if you, you'd get the people who were so into hockey that sometimes they'd start wearing like minor league hockey jerseys on off days or like alternate colored Jersey Devil jerseys. Like they'd show up in like a green Devils jersey. You'd be like, what the fuck is going on? You like hockey too much. Yeah, let's put this in perspective too because we grew up in West Orange. So like yeah. the Devils were an intimate part of like our town culture and like practiced and would. Oh yeah. They practiced at South Mountain Arena. So like if you were a hockey kid or whatever, you were probably around devil stuff all the time. Plus you could like, you know, we just, I feel like the devils were so relevant to like West orange. So like made devil's hockey Jersey kid, like even more prevalent. Yeah. The devils had a real imprint on the style of Jersey. I think to this day, but their omnipresence in our area certainly meant there were some people who went, a little too hard repping them style-wise, <laughs> and it became their identity more than they probably intended. But the precursor to all that was the crisscross kids. Well, let's talk about this, Nick. Explain. Crisscross will make you jump, jump, jump. I know exactly what you're speaking of. Daddy Mac will make you jump, jump. 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 How many kids were wearing their pants backwards? Remember that weird, bizarro trend? I don't know if that's a Jersey thing. That was probably a national thing. But I'm going to say a few brand names. Okay, because I know exactly what you're saying. Crisscross, anybody trying to place it? This was around 1992. <laughs> Teenage rap group phenomenon. They had a song called Jump. Uh, the beat went like this. And then they wore their clothes backwards, which led to an ill-advised era of kids. I was in middle school. You guys were in high school. People not only wearing clothes backwards, people wearing, this was the exact same type of kid that would wear uh, overalls with one strap undone. Oh, the best. I'm going to say a couple other phrases. I'm going to say starter jackets. Omnipresent. Oh yeah, amongst this type of screen. oh yeah, eight ball jacket, eight ball jackets, cross colors. You guys uh, remember cross, cross colors? colors? Cross colors was huge with this exact type of kid. Uh. This type of person, style wise, definitely, I would say the black students in our town led the charge on this, but it was not an exclusively black thing. Yeah, and I would say white guy who dressed in crisscross style hip hop gear. This is a very strong archetype. That was a very strong archetype. I'm not sure if either of you remember this, but there was a backward crisscross style clothes wearing tragedy that occurred when I believe we were (laughs) freshmen in high school where a a kid that, that we were friendly with, he was on the periphery of our friend group, 
had to use the bathroom urgently and didn't realize that the zipper was on the back of his pants and urinated directly into his own pants because he couldn't get them off on time. And he had to come back with his baggy backwards clothes on and shame in shame, ask to go to the nurse and everyone said, I don't feel good. And everyone saw that he just had like a giant, you know, piss stain running down the front of his pants. Crisscross and make you pee on yourself. I bet that was happening all over the country back then. Imagine. All over the country oh. back then. Somewhere there's a landfill and it's just like 400,000 pairs of uh, of backwards pants with urine stains on the wrong side. Of soiled crisscross pants. It's a super fun sight. <laughs> <laughs> the number ones weren't so bad, but the number twos were tragic. The number twos used to squeeze out of the teeth of the zipper like a Play-Doh fun factory. <laughs> <laughs> this type of hip-hop gear was very um, outward and performative. There were kids who were legit into hip-hop in a much cooler way that did not go all out crisscross style like there was definitely already kids of the same exact era who liked groups like Black Sheep and Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul who's the Black Sheep they were not showing up they were not showing up with their pants on backwards they weren't showing up oh you know what else I gotta say and again I don't know if it's a very Jersey thing certainly in 90s things though the crisscross style kids same ones who really led the charge with uh, hyper colors. Uh, Remember hyper colors? Oh, uh, that was the worst, yeah. That ill-advised stretch where you'd put on a shirt that would change colors and then people would use their body so people would run up to you and be touching you and like breathing on you to try to get your shirt hot. If you were a fat kid and your armpits would all be like change colors and you were sweating all over yourself, it wasn't cool. <laughs> yeah, you would just show your sweat streaks. <laughs> just, during a math test, you'd just sit there turning. Oh God, man boobs, they're glowing because I'm fucking sweating this test so bad. Same person, yes. These people all interacting on a daily basis in our high school and middle school years. <laughs> one, one of my good friends uh, in high school, she she got in trouble because of wearing a hypercolor shirt. She actually got suspended and she, because she walked back into the school and one of the deans of discipline walked by her and saw that on her hypercolor shirt, there were inappropriate handprints from what she had been doing outside. Ooh. And she got suspended and got really bent out of shape. And her parents got really bent out of shape because they felt like it was none of the school's business. But I think that was a case where 90s New Jersey style, you know, basically uh, ratted her out for enjoying herself outside the school. This is bringing back very fond memories of this era. I, I, if there's other people listening from other states in the, in the U.S., other parts of the world, I want to know how much of this extended to where you were versus just North Jersey. This is the exact point in human history where torture candies were also very popular. If you guys remember... <laughs> People were the way we're describing people dressing. This mixture of hypercolor people, Cavaricci people, Jersey Devil wearing schmoes. Exact era where it was also like, who can who can chew on this crybaby gum and not cry? Yeah. Who can suck down a warhead and uh, have it last longer? It was it was very like outward fat. The same era that there was rollerblading and slap bracelets. This was a lot of the style of the times. It was a uh, was represented there. And then there was a group of kids that used to read like Anarchist Cookbook. Oh, yeah. And try and, they would hang out and blow stuff up together. Uh-huh. What'd they dress like? Well, they crossed over with the Jersey Devil guy for sure. The, uh-huh. the, the Devil's Jersey people for sure. I think they were the normal kids. Yeah, I mean, that was also us. Lighting abandoned houses on fire. Is that a thing you did? No, there was some other kid in our town that we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> 
I want to bring up some phrases that I don't know. This might be so hyper-specific that it might not just be a Jersey thing. It might not just be a West Orange thing. This might just be an Edison Middle School thing of the exact era we're talking about, which would be mid-90s through the late 90s. There were certain phrases that became incredibly popular when I was in middle school. And I'm wondering if you guys ever heard them. I want to know how widespread they were. So this is starting with you, Mikey and Bonnet Dooch. I've never called you Mikey in my life. I don't know why I just said it. Hey, Mikey. Hey, it's Mikey. Hey, Mikey. Any listeners out there? It was very popular when I was in middle school to run up to someone else and you'd try to tickle their chin. And if you could tickle their chin, you'd then yell the phrase, my nuts itch. And run away. That's an Edison thing. Definitely. The implication was that you had successfully gotten your dick in their mouth and their your nuts were therefore resting on their chin. So you were scratching your own nuts when you scratched their chin. It was also concurrent with yelling at a person's face if you didn't like them the phrase, eat a fat nut. I don't know if you guys ever had that or if that was just our half of town. Your half. Yeah, I don't think that made it to the yeah. Roosevelt's. Edison Middle School was wild and violent. And there was also a threat that I've heard variations of, but I haven't really heard the full phrase outside of my half of West Orange, New Jersey, which was if you wanted to tell someone you were going to fuck them up in a fight, you'd say, I'm going to push that wig back to the fat meat. Oh, that's terrible. You would tell someone, I'm going to push the wig back to the fat meat. And those are things that I've always wondered. Was that just a hysteria gripping the Edison Middle School area? 100%, yes. I want to hear from other people out there. If the other people remember telling people, my nuts itch, and you try to scratch their shit. But if you successfully pulled that off on someone, you had to get out of there because it was free game for that person to try to fuck you up. If you you successfully pulled off a my nuts itch, you needed an exit strategy because that person would try to put your head through a fucking window, man. That was humiliating. Another... I think this is a very New Jersey specific threat because I've only heard people in New Jersey use it, but I've heard them use it a lot, which is I'll boogie hook you. Oh, oh boogie yeah, boogie hook. hooking. You might get caught with a boogie hook. Oh, did you hear? Like, uh, you heard Mark, he got boogie hooked over by Krausers. He got like, boogie well, hooked. Effectively means sucker punched, right? Yeah, boogie. Yeah, he got boogie hooked. I, mean, I cannot believe it's 2022 and I'm Googling boogie hook. I Googled boogie hook within the last three hours and I was not able to locate it. Oxford English Dictionary entry. Boogie hook is a phrase. That might be a, like a local. We need to hear from other Jersey people listening. Are you familiar with the phrase getting boogie hooked? Were people on the Black Horse Pike getting boogie hooked? That's what I want to know. Or were you getting snuck? Oh yeah, you got snuck. People definitely got snuck, but I feel like snuck to me wasn't Jersey specific though, right? It was. I, you'd hear that in rap songs. Yeah, but, but boogie hooked. Or another one, another great localized New Jersey threat. We could probably do a whole show on just local New Jersey <laughs> threat language. Yeah, I, had to, I had to be, uh, I had to like go drive around Essex County for like 20 minutes and be re-inspired. I'll jack you up. I'll jack you up, man. I'll jack you up. That's a really, that one always struck me as strange. I feel like that one is a little more widespread than Boogie Hook. I need to know if there's other people out there who remember, I'll push your wig back to the fat meat. Cause that was a thing that I saw people say to each other. That has to be. Is that from something? Past, I don't know, man. Split that wig back to the fat meat. Um, I always that li- rings in my brain now and forever. That's a terrible one, yeah. 
I keep on having the visual. I'm trying to like visualize what it should look like. You know, punching somebody in the head so hard that their hairline starts <laughs> explodes and starts bleeding, and that the the fat meat. Where's the? I bet you know, like if you hit somebody, you got a ring on, then you get real in deep with the ring. You could see the fat meat spilling out of their head. Yes, so. push that wig back to the fat meat. Oh, <laughs> that's so gross. I pray someone else out there has heard that. It's going to be someone that went to Edison. <laughs> it, yeah, it, can't, it will only be one of like six human beings. The voicemail is going to be, hey, this is uh, Greg. It's your brother. Yeah, I've heard someone say this before. <laughs> oh, we should also talk about, I mentioned rollerblades. These would be popular among some of the style. Oh, yeah. There was a point at which probably I would say <laughs> the crisscross dressing kids kind of fragmented. Some of them became Jenko's wearing white guys, hmm. which if you remember Jenko's, those were the way too big jeans. And those were the kids who were real into rollerblading instead of skateboarding. Skateboarders always had the skateboarder thing, but the rollerblades was kind of a combination of like rave culture and skater culture, appearance wise. But it does make me think your mode of transportation was also part of your style. Even before you got your license, the type of bike you rolled up on said something about you and your style. Um, there was the BMX person. There was, you know, um, so that was an, another type of, of style. Yes, Nick. The bike, thing's, the bike thing's interesting because I think that you guys being downhill, that not having gears is probably more prevalent. But like growing up on the hills of West Orange, you realize the value of having gears on a bike at a younger age where... When you'd still rather be riding a BMX to appreciate having gears and be able to riding up steep hills. There's also there's another aspect of of bike culture from when we grew up that I think is probably pretty specific to North Jersey too, which is and I'm not saying this I've thought long and hard about affluence and these suburbs and how they all smash into each other, but you try to deck out your bike. You try to have it look cool. You might buy some accessories for it. But there was always a chance that if your bike was too nice, it was going to get stolen. So the kids who had really nice shit on their bikes, you knew it was kind of a reflection of kind of being a badass. Because if you had some chrome shit decked out on your bike, or you had like pegs on the back, those were real easy to steal. So you were basically saying like, nobody fucks with me. Um, If you had a pretty nice, you kind of aimed to have a bike that was pretty nice, but not nice enough that someone was going to gank it. Gank, Which is yeah, another word go. that we used to say a lot, that I wonder if that, now all this language and vernacular is coming back. Is that a North Jersey Yeah, you had to like get back into My it again. shit got ganked. That's another <laughs> thing that I wonder. Were other people saying that? Was that just a North Jersey or West Orange thing? Ganked is another word. We need your feedback. If something got stolen from you, would you say the phrase, my shit got ganked? Because that could mean it. And Mike, you were a bike guy. My dino detour got ganked at Hazel School. Yeah, I remember that. My huffy white heat got stolen out of my garage. It was stolen in the winter when they knew I would never check to see if it was there. Ah, Smart. Did you ever see the kid riding around again? Or never no? saw the white heat. Huffy white heat, that was a hot commodity for a couple years there. Yep, mine got stolen by a kid um, when I was in eighth grade. He stole it directly from me uh, f- with his gang of friends. And then... The next year when I went to high school, I saw him in the hallway and uh, I, I plot it and enacted revenge on him eventually. Mike, I know like I remember <laughs> if people had back pegs 
that was pretty cool because you could give your friends rides. The kids who had front and back pegs, you're like, oh, you're like a freestyle master. Yeah, good luck. You're serious. And then if you were the if you were the had the best style, what did you have on the front fork of your bike? It forklifters, man. The pegs that folded up and down. That was where it was at. Oh, oh those are like real fancy. I remember that you'd see those kids down at Colgate Park right? folding their things down. Yep. I think it was broken. And- if you had forklifters, you were you were the kid. You were the man. Look, I'm ready to do some freestyle BMXing now, so let me go put my little pegs out in the front. You've also noted in here dice air caps. Dice caps. On your bike. Yep. And I have such distinct memories of that. The kids who had the little dice replacing the, the top part of their air airflow regulator things. That was another way you presented yourself style-wise, man, especially before you had cars. The way you tricked out your bike went a long way in North Jersey back then. It really did. The style was whatever pegs you could you could afford, forklifters if you were really cool, mushroom grips, yeah. <laughs> if you remember those, they were huge. Um, dice caps, or if you were really cool, you had eight ball caps because they were much harder harder to find. And then... The ultimate North Jersey bike style accessory was you had a seat on your BMX bike that had the whole cutout that was like a handle, which is supposed to be for doing tricks, but no one could do tricks uh, with that yeah, handle. Oh, yeah, so you could do tricks. Talk to me about this, though, Mike, because, again, the North Jersey side of it is, <laughs> and I'm not being hyperbolic here, if you had like the eight ball caps, you needed to watch your bike. Or you needed to be really fucking respected and cool because people were going to try to at least steal those. People would at least wait till you weren't looking to get those and they might just take your bike. I just assumed your bike would get stolen. Yeah. I mean, I, I had two bikes stolen <laughs> and I'm sure there's people who had a lot more stolen than that. But yeah, that was part of the, the vibe, you know? And you assumed if you had somebody had a bike with a bunch of cool stuff on it that they had stolen all the parts. That was just the assumption that you made. Yeah. Yeah, right. They didn't pay for it. If they did, they were a target because, you know, you didn't want to get labeled as a rich kid because that meant soft. So you'd at least want to imply heavily that you stole a lot of that shit, even if you got it all for Christmas. (laughs) A couple with powerful political connections was murdered in their bedroom. The case was never solved. They couldn't have done a worse job if they intended to mess up that investigation. A botched investigation and New Jersey politics. I'm Nancy Solomon. Listen to Dead End, a New Jersey political murder mystery from WNYC Studios. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Now, we do have to touch upon the following, something that's hand-in-hand with New Jersey style, where there's elements of a lot of what we've said. These are the ones that I wish people, and not necessarily that I want people to stereotype us more for these. These are at least the real stereotypes of like when we grew up in North Jersey. Tricked out bikes, Cavaricis, metalheads, kids who liked hockey too much, blah, blah, blah. Guido style. There's elements in which all these things cross over, but we haven't really nailed Guido style. Guido style is not Cavarici style. They're companions and they share dance moves. But I don't think a Guido is going to tear a neck off of a Mickey Mouse sweatshirt. That's a different type of kid. A Guido is going to have like a real tight fitting 
almost like tailored look in a way, but is not going to rip up their own shirt, I don't I think. I think there's like evolution of Guidoism is a tough one too. Yeah, talk to me about this. I think there's like, you know, like any, any other kind of dress, there's casual Guido. Then there's like going to the dance Guido or confirmation Guido. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there can be like casual Guido could possibly have Cavaricis and a torn Mickey Mouse sweatshirt. Because he's just like hanging out with his friends and wearing his sixty dollar Cavaricis and a rip thing, and it's like, you know, I'm just waiting, like get dressed up for later or something. But like, yeah, I see the tight shirt thing. It'd be like a big yearbook thing. Like you've looked through the '90s, was Guidoism in yearbook photos. I, like here's a here's a great example though of style. And this this I have to say, I thought this topic was going to be good, but I'm finding myself getting very excited because you guys tell me if this is not very very accurate to the Jersey style we grew up with. Guidos could pull off the Cavaricci look for sure, but not all Cavaricci kids could wear an expensive t-shirt with a blazer over it, which was a Guido standard. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was crossover there, but not the, all Cavaricci kids could pull that off. Like a suit, but without a button down jacket, a, a black t-shirt under it when you're 15 or 16 years old, hanging out socially. To wear the blazer style, to go down that road, you're treading a very thin line between you can end up cool or you can end up looking like Kenny G. So it's like a very yeah. thin line that you yeah. need to be able to tread between those it, things. Yeah, you're aiming for boys to men. You're aiming to boys for men, boys to men. You could land Kenny G, but that- Boys I mean, to men was a whole other scene, Listen, man. it was. I can name names though of kids who would show up to high school legitimately wearing a t-shirt and blazer over them and on a Wednesday, not because there was any, they weren't given a presentation or anything. It's just, they thought that was a cool way to dress and they were like tough Italian kids. It's true. I was always upset. I never, I never walked with a cane in school. <laughs> oh, the guys with canes. The cane. How was that like allowed in school that you were allowed to walk around with, uh, you should have walked around with like your shillelagh or something, you know? <laughs> Was it a necessity? Was it a weapon? We never knew. <laughs> Let me check my cane in in the morning. We never knew. I always assumed it was a weapon. Because it took. I was standing at the bus stop for so long, I had to lean on my cane. Oh, man. This is bringing back a lot. I know. I'm like terrible. Like all of a sudden, I'm, I can smell the high school halls again. I can't believe, Mike, I love that you researched the mullet, that the mullet was not invented in New Jersey. Oh, there you go. Uh, but you found the root. There was a yeah. guy named Henri, Henri Mullet. was the first person... Uh, to wear the mullet. He was like a, a, a French avant-garde, you know, person who used to hang out at dance clubs and he had that hairstyle first and then everyone bastardized his last name and turned mullet to mullet. I, I was hoping that I was going to find that the first instances of people rocking mullets were in New Jersey, but that's not the case. Although that was eye-opening to me because I had assumed for years that the Beastie Boys invented the term mullet in Grand Royal when they did that 15-page article about mullets, you know, back in the, mm -hmm. whatever that was, late 90s, early 2000s. Huh. Haircut of the Gods, I believe, was the title of the article. Yeah, Haircut of the Gods. It was great. But nope, it has a much richer, <laughs> richer cultural history than that. Than that. <laughs> now... Let's talk about the crossover, and none of us are as qualified to speak to this, but the crossover between Guidos into Guidettes into Jersey Girls, because mm. there's an evolution there. Again, some of it shared. Guidettes and Jersey Girls, 
I would say all guidettes were Jersey girls, not all Jersey girls were guidettes, style-wise. Does that ring true to you? Yes. Mm. I think that yeah. the guidette style was possibly even more defined and prescribed than the actual Guido style, like a narrower set of things that you could wear. And also hair was, you know, all the same, like big hair, the hair, the bangs like teased up in a shield, um, big, big earrings requirement, all those things. But I think the, Mm -hmm. the Jersey girl style was much looser than, than the Guidette style. Like neighborhood next door, kind of like Jersey girl. Never like got yeah, tight jeans, tight jeans. Never any kind of crazy hairstyle, but they always look good. It's like Jersey Girl. The thing that they both shared, style wise, which was a big style icon of our time in New Jersey, was a necklace you bought at the mall mm. with either your name or middle name. That a lot of girls wore those in our day. That was the a reek. big style choice. Threat. Yes, I mean the Livingston <laughs> Mall must have. That one kiosk must have just made their fucking bread and butter. They must have paid their whole nut selling necklaces that said Marie, because everybody had those. I think I want to get one that says Bonaduce. Big fingernails, big earrings. I think Jersey Girls and Guidettes both had name necklaces. Guidettes had bigger earrings. Um, there was some crossover style wise, but Jersey Girls could be a lot more casual. Guidettes were always done up. But a Jersey girl might just show up in jeans and a sweatshirt and somehow look really good. Whereas a guidette would never be caught dead getting that cash. I don't no, know. you would not find a guidette in Umbros. That's right. Umbros became a big thing. Yeah, Umbros were a thing. Umbros, girls who weren't on the soccer team showing up like they were ready to play soccer. They're ready to play all right. They just ain't playing soccer. Okay, Sorry. okay. Cool your jets, Nick. Umbros were a sign cool of easy jets. access, let's be honest. But guys rocked Umbros too. Yeah, if you were wearing Umbros, you were going to hook up and like your junk was going to get touched. Umbros were the official <laughs> short of the horny New Jersey teenager. So you're saying <laughs> that's, um, that's... Umbros were as popular as they were in northern New Jersey in the 90s because of hand, hand job accessibility? Yes. Is that what we're all Yes, 100%. Wow. Equal opportunity both ways. I owned a pair of Umbros and I never got I never got fondled. You probably played with yourself wearing them though. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what? Umbros. Put on my Umbros and get all horned up and have to jack off right then and there. That smooth, those smooth shorts. I was also wearing, uh, I was wearing some sensible boxers underneath those Umbros. You had your sensible Batman underwear. But it was different. I feel like, I do feel like when, (laughs) so of course being a reference to me being prepubescent well into high school. Nailed it. I do feel like I remember trying to wear Umbros to school a few times and it was just too much crossover with the soccer team. And the soccer team, I did not want to be associated with. No. Um, no. They were not the best. But girls could freely wear Umbros without those cultural implications in our era. That was a big thing. There was like Guido chick like dress down day. Like, you know, she was having like a rough day if like they had a really oversized like sweatpants outfit on. Yes. Like they were probably they were probably having their period or something. They weren't feeling great about themselves or some kind of great drama in their life, yeah, and they needed to just like yeah. wear some sort of giant sweatpants and sweatshirt to school that day and not be bothered by the rigmarole of high school life. Speaking of sweatpants, Mike D, I just remembered when we first spoke of this topic. I believe one of the first things you brought up was wondering if it was a Jersey thing to wear sweatpants with one leg up. Sweatpants with one leg up. And for true Jersey style is 
you went to your local um, iron-on store and you had the name of your town in those puffy felt iron-on letters running down the le- one leg of the pants. That was a huge Jersey-style thing for a while. It was either the name of your town or the shore town that you hung oh, out yeah, of. There, yes. there was a lot of that. Your choice. A lot of lavalette sweatpants. Or if you dated a guy from another town, then you would wear their sweatpants with their town name on it. That's right. Did people do that at West Orange High? Yeah, that was like the girls that would wear like varsity jackets from like other high schools. You're like, they just never were part of yeah, like that, that the high school. Repping another school would seem like bad news to me, but I guess people would get away with it. But yes, you would see you'd see a lot of sweatpants representing colleges. You yeah, know, different town. Your ship bottom sweatpants, Lavalette, Belmar. Can we bring that back? Barnegat. Get some Barnegat Bay sweatpants. Oh my God! If people start coming to our live shows at House of Independence in shore themed sweatpants with one leg I had a shore themed shirt I wore a Seaside Heights shirt last time I'm gonna wear Seaside Heights sweatpants next time I come I had see now nobody was ever nobody's ever gonna look back at high school me and accuse me of being stylish Mike D I don't know if you remember this Mike D one of the nicest things any friend of mine ever did for me was in college when I was super depressed I remember you (laughs) saying to me some version of you know, you're a pretty good looking guy. You got to dress better. And you weren't mean about it. You were like giving me actual brotherly advice and basically saying like, you got to like stop. You got to like clean your shit up, man. Like you could do pretty well for yourself if you clean your shit up, but you were really nice about it. And then you did. I did eventually learn how to uh, purchase stuff that fit reasonably well. I was just trying to get you to come to frat parties and you didn't want to do that. I know. You did. We could do a whole episode on you trying to convince me to join your frat but I did, uh, I got it, I think in middle school, I was down the shore once with my family and it was colder than anticipated, which meant I got an airbrushed Spider-Man sweatshirt and I would wear it to school in ill-advised fashion, which might sound like social suicide, but airbrushing, because of our proximity to the Jersey Shore, airbrushing, not, not social death to wear airbrushed gear. No, pretty common, yeah. actually. Especially after the summertime, it would be very prevalent. One summer, my brother and I were at the shore, and this was at the, uh, at the, the height of our breakdancing uh, time. And we went to one of the shore stores, and we each got one of those, ha- like, one of those desert hats, similar to what Dusty from G.I. Joe wore. It had flaps in the back, like a split flap down the back. <laughs> And we each had on the front of it our breakdancing name, Airbrushed, with two felt lightning bolts ironed on to the brim. And that was I remember that hat. popular style that year. Randy's probably still got it. I got to ask what the breakdancing names were. He probably does. I, I believe my, my breakdancing name was The Brat, and my brother was Kid Flip Jr. Jr. Because there was already a Kid Flip, a Kid Flip Jr., and so he became Kid Flip Jr. Jr. <laughs> <laughs> I do think we are stumbling into some real Jersey style choices there. I mean, all over this state, airbrushing is probably more, airbrushed gear is probably more historically acceptable in a high school setting than anywhere else, just because we all know you got to represent the shore. Iron on letters were also the same, I think, in the same category as airbrushing because you could get them on the boardwalk or every town had a store. Well, that's what took over airbrushing. Right. The iron on letters. Like that's, that, that's been like, that's what killed airbrushing down here. It was like, you know, printed logo shirts. Now listen, this has been 
a nostalgic trip down memory lane. I'm sure that other people from our generation and within a few years of us have been sitting here the whole time going like, holy shit, yes. But there's a few important things I want to put out here. Whether it's social media feedback, whether, especially if you're on the Patreon where we, you know, always get into it with people with the comments, or if you want to leave a voicemail at 973-780-4660, here's a couple of things I need to know. If you are older than us, I want to hear about the precursors to the things we laid out. Like Cavaricis started in the 80s and, and caught their momentum in the early 90s. Who were those people beforehand? Who was the devil's jersey person beforehand? What was that? And if you're younger than us, I know many of the people who listen or have a generation after us, what was the evolution? I want to know, because we can only speak the things we saw. And I think we took this way further than I anticipated. But I want to know, how do these things reflect themselves now? I don't think there's people wearing backwards clothes because crisscross is popular. But the people who would have, what were they doing in your high school era? Because the people were still there, just not that cultural explosion. So I want to hear what predated it, what came after, what are the things we got right and wrong? If you know... If you are one of the handful of listeners out there who's not a Jersey person, who's been supporting us just because you like what we do, if there's stuff where you go, no, that happened where I was in California or Louisiana or wherever, you call up, you let us know. Or if you had variations on the themes, you let us know. I want to know about which aspects of these are truly Jersey style, which ones were spread beyond that. And please, if anybody else remembers running up to people, tickling their chin and yelling, my nuts itch. I need to know if that was only a fad of, of, of my actual neighborhood or if that was spread further and wider. Those are my closing thoughts. Any other thoughts from Nikki Bonaduce and Mike D tonight? I'd like to extend that and say also, if you're out there listening and you happen to work for Umbro, <laughs> we'd love to talk to you about an official sponsorship of becoming the short of the horny New Jersey teenager. <laughs> I think we've really got something here. The only thing I have to say is, if you're curious about the other end of that, like where are they now? One of the great things you can do, because summer's coming up, go to your local boardwalk, especially Seaside Heights. Come down here and people watch and watch all the people from the 90s who have children now and look at their styles and what they've turned into and then look at them and try and say, was he a Jersey Devil Jersey guy? Was she a Guidette? Was she a Jersey girl? And look at them now. So that's another way to look at things too. See where where that all that fashion gets you. How are we passing it on to our children? I was tragically unhip then. I'm still tragically unhip. So not much has changed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the world. New Jersey is the world is Chris Gethard, Nikki Bonaduce, Don Finelli, Andrea Quinn, Carson Cobb, and Mike D. New Jersey is the World is produced and edited by Carson Kopp, Mike D, and Andrea Quinn. You can find us online at New Jersey is the World and on Instagram at New Jersey is the World. Also, please feel free to reach out and leave us a voicemail by contacting the home office of New Jersey is the World at 973-780-4660 in regards to anything show or New Jersey related. Please subscribe and listen to more episodes of New Jersey is the World on your favorite podcast service. 
If you're looking to join our extremely opinionated and Jersey-ish community, head on over to Patreon.com and search for New Jersey is the World. We have merch, which you can find at BelowTheCollar.com after searching for Chris Gethard. Once again, thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. New Jersey is the world, where New Jersey is the world.